0: Hello and welcome to this installment of AZ Law. I'm your volunteer reader and I'm a Phoenix attorney. My name is Paul White, and we explore Arizona's legal and judicial systems in this new program. AZ Law came about to provide Arizona legal news for Sun Sounds of Arizona. That's the nonprofit reading service for people with disabilities, which makes it difficult for them to read or hold printed material. It is broadcast on the third Saturday of each month at 11 a.m., and other installments are available on demand. Our Arizona'sLaw.org website is independent of Sun Sounds, but our prime focus is to support Sun Sounds, which is a service of Rio Salado Community College along with KJZZ and KBAQ radio stations. Our website has links to those stations and information on how you can become a member of them. We urge you to do so now at Arizona'slaw.org. AZ Law is now available for download at the website as well. And you can also find us on iTunes Podcasts, Google Play Music and Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. So let's go ahead and get to the news. So we go ahead and start off with this article from Howard Fisher of Capital Media Services, the big case this week. And this article came out on October 1st. Court says 2016 state school funding measure illegal. Here's the article. Governor Doug Ducey acted illegally in pushing his 2016 plan to take $2.2 billion over a decade for K-12 education out of a trust account without first getting U.S. congressional approval, a federal judge ruled this week. But Judge Neil Wake will not order the funding halted, at least not now. In a sharply worded decision unveiled on Tuesday, Wake said Ducey crafted the plan to make up for the fact that the state had ignored voter-mandated requirements to properly fund schools. That solution then became Proposition 123, which voters approved in 2016. But Wake said that the state did not first obtain congressional approval for the shift. He said that is necessary because the Federal Enabling Act that made Arizona into a state in 1912, also made New Mexico into a state, gave the state lands to hold in trust for schools. The state and its officers took those monies illegally and spent them, said Wake, who was a 2004 appointee of President George W. Bush. More to the point, that federal law that Wake said Ducey and lawmakers ignored allows the state to use only the interest off the money earned. The idea was to preserve the body of the trust and the interest that would earn for future generations. By contrast. Prop 123 actually withdraws more than the earned interest, meaning the size of the trust, designed by Congress to be a permanent, reliable source of education dollars, actually is worth less now than it would have been without the ballot measure. Current figures obtained by Capital Media Services from the Treasurer's Office show the current value of the state land trust at nearly $6.1 billion. Without the extra withdrawals, it would be worth about $1 billion more. That, in turn, will mean less in interest earnings for K-12 education once the extra distribution ends as scheduled in 2025. The ruling has no immediate effect on school funding. It allows the state to continue to draw more than $200 million per year out of the trust to fund education through the year 2025. But Judge Wake barred the state from making additional diversions after that. And he said such a maneuver likely will be necessary given what he said has been the failure of lawmakers for years to properly fund education. The ruling should come as no real surprise. Wake had issued a similar ruling last year, but attorneys for Ducey effectively sought to have it set aside because while the lawsuit was pending, the governor got a provision inserted into a 2,400-page federal appropriations bill giving the required congressional approval. But the judge said that did not retroactively legalize what was an illegal act in the first place, especially as Ducey was still arguing that congressional approval was not necessary in the first place and that Congress was acting on its own. Congress did not act in a vacuum, Wake said, saying Ducey stepped in when the case was not going his way. The governor's assertion that he somehow was not involved is disingenuous, the judge wrote. The court is not fooled. The ruling drew derision from gubernatorial press aide Patrick Patak, who called it incoherent, poorly reasoned, and an example of massive judicial overreach and activism. Those comments were right after the decision came out. Rarely before have we seen such a blatant disregard of facts, precedent, and common sense to push forward an agenda of one biased activist judge, he wrote. And he vowed an appeal. The record, however, shows that Ducey was on notice of legal problems even before he had Prop 123 put to voters in 2016. Jeff DeWitt, who at the time was state treasurer and had succeeded Ducey in that post, told lawmakers they could not do what the governor was proposing. At the root of the issue is a 2013 Arizona Supreme Court ruling that the state had ignored a 2000 voter-approved mandate to increase state aid to schools annually to keep pace with inflation. Ducey, who took office in 2015, declined to increase taxes to comply with that ruling. Instead, he and legislative leaders came up with a plan to tap into the special trust fund that consists of money the state earns from the sale and lease of about 10 million acres of land that Arizona had been given by the federal government when it became a state. As originally enacted in 1912, schools were to get the interest earned, leaving the corpus of the fund untouched. Proposition 123, however, set the distribution at 6.9 percent, regardless of how much the fund actually was earning in interest, to generate $2.2 billion over a decade. That meant actually taking more out than interest earned, cutting into the trust fund itself. The plan had broad support in the education community, but the judge said no one bothered to first seek congressional okay. And that led to the lawsuit by Michael Pierce and to Wake's first 2018 ruling. Now, unless overturned, this new decision precludes a similar change in trust distributions in the future without first going to Congress. And Wake, in his ruling, said that the history of education funding in Arizona strongly suggests that there will be a new effort to raid the trust in 2025 when Prop 123 dollars run out. Arizona has followed a long-term policy of cutting funding for public education, the judge wrote, rather than raising taxes. By 2025, Wake said, the state will be habituated to the generous distributions from the school land trust to make up for decades of tax cuts and other refusals to fund current education from taxes. And Wake said a future bid to tap the trust is even more likely because of the difficulty in raising the revenues from taxes that state courts have said are necessary to properly fund K-12 education. The judge suggested some of that is due to a provision in the Arizona Constitution. He said lawmakers can and have cut taxes with a simple majority vote, yet it now takes a two-thirds vote to raise them. That, said Wake, means a minority of lawmakers can effectively block raising new revenues, forcing the full legislature to look to alternatives like taking extra dollars out of the trust. The question of what happens after 2025 was on the mind of state schools chief Kathy Hoffman. The next step our state must take is finding a sustainable revenue source that will fully restore education funding to pre-recession levels, she said in a statement. We do need a sustainable funding source, agreed Senate President Karen Fan. But the Prescott Republican said she supports an appeal of Wake's ruling, saying lawmakers need the flexibility to be able to use trust dollars as needed. Senator Martin Quesada, a Democrat from Glendale, said the ruling is not really a surprise. This is what happens when politicians refuse to raise needed revenues and have to come up with legally questionable ways of funding Arizonans' needs and values, he wrote in a Twitter post. And he went on, we need leaders who will make tough decisions and do what is needed to fund our schools. Aside from arguing the judge's decision is legally flawed, Patak also alleged some impropriety, saying Wake personally recruited an attorney to represent the plaintiff even after he failed to appear in court. The judge indicated a personal agenda against the will of the people, Patak said. Andrew Jacob acknowledged that he took the case after going into partial retirement, having told Wake previously that he would be willing to work for free on any case where a self-representative plaintiff needed help in a case of some significance. This case, said Jacob, fit that description, with Pierce having no legal counsel. But Jacob said Wake never discussed the specifics of the case with him. And that article from Howard Fisher of Capital Media Services was headlined, Court Says 2016 School Funding Measure Illegal. And that judgment by Judge Wake was issued on September 30th. We can tell you that as of Thursday, October 3rd, the afternoon of October 3rd, no appeal has yet been filed. Of course, the governor does have some time to do that. But the governor has escalated his, uh, it's not a but, but the governor has escalated his rhetoric as well. A new article in today's Arizona Republic reported by Maria Paletta is headlined, Judge Wake thinks he's God. Why did Governor Doug Ducey lash out after the Prop 123 ruling? Here's that article. Speaking to reporters outside of the Arizona Capitol on Tuesday evening, Governor Doug Ducey unleashed a diatribe against the federal judge who had ruled against them the day before. Reaffirming that earlier decision, Judge Wake declared the state had acted illegally when it implemented Proposition 123, Ducey's signature education funding program, without approval from Congress. Judge Wake puts on a robe in the morning and thinks he's God, but he's not, Deucey said. I want to tell you what everyone down at the courthouse needs to know. It is time for Judge Wake to retire. He's an embarrassment to the legal community, the governor continued. This is an activist judge who solicited this lawsuit because he didn't like Proposition 123. That rebuke came on top of an extensive statement issued by Ducey's spokesman uh, that we talked about in the previous article that called Wake biased and deemed his decision incoherent and terrible despite the ruling not jeopardizing existing education funding. Ducey's comments marked the second dramatic departure from his typically measured rehearsed remarks in recent months. Back in July, he issued a nine-tweet thread slamming Nike for canceling the release of a shoe that featured an early design of the American flag, saying it had bowed to the current onslaught of political correctness and historical revisionism. At the time, a political science professor called Ducey's Twitter onslaught a page straight out of the Trump playbook. Chuck Coughlin, a Republican political analyst, said the strategy employed by the governor in the wake of Monday's ruling came from an older political playbook. The former aide to Governor Fife Symington recalled people during that administration coming up with similar stuff after unfavorable rulings and using ominous phrases like the black-robed oligarchy to cast doubt on judges. Coughlin said, generally, it happens out of a frustration with the court and the genuine sense of disagreement on the subject matter. At least, that's what's driven it in the past. I sense it's the same thing happening here, Coughlin continued. Wake has a reputation of being a real stickler for detail, like most judges are, and took exception with the way the governor was behaving here. The governor did not like that, and it gets a little personal at that point. The detail that Wake had the biggest problem with, according to his Monday order, was the timing with which Ducey sought congressional approval to implement Proposition 123. Officials had swiftly upped the amount taken from the state land trust to boost education funding after voters had okayed the measure in 2016, but the Ducey administration did not ask Congress to sign off on it until 2018, after a lawsuit against the state was already pending. The governor resisted for two years but then sought such consent on the eve of a ruling, Wake wrote. The court is not fooled. Arizona Center for Economic Progress Director David Lujan said the venom in Ducey's response surprised him, since Wake had already ruled the governor should have gotten advanced congressional approval last year. Lujan, who worked on a proposed education funding ballot measure last fall, said the judge likely touched a nerve with the governor in pointing out that our education system is underfunded and that tax cuts are largely to blame. The state Supreme Court had ruled in 2013 Arizona leaders had disregarded the voter mandate to increase education funding to keep up with inflation. When, Upon taking office two years later, Ducey didn't want to increase the taxes to satisfy the funding requirement. He and other officials designed the Proposition 123 funding plan instead and disregarding former Arizona Treasurer Jeff DeWitt's warning that it would get the state into legal trouble. Asked why the governor had responded so forcefully to Monday's ruling, spokesman said Ducey's words speak for themselves, and he reiterated the idea that Wake had a personal agenda. Critics of the governor's most recent state Supreme Court pick, including Democratic political consultant Chris Hurstam, who was a former Republican lawmaker, took particular issue with that charge, implying on social media that it was hypocritical. Ducey appointed former Maricopa County Attorney Bill Montgomery to replace retired Justice Scott Bales last month, despite some Arizonans' doubts about the prosecutor's ability to be impartial. Critics had flooded the inboxes of judicial nominating commissioners with questions and complaints about Montgomery's contentious views on medical marijuana and LGBTQ issues, as well as his office's attempts to stall criminal justice reform efforts at the state legislature. The governor drew widespread praise from conservative leaders for that appointment. And that was an article October 3rd in the Arizona Republic from Maria Paletta. Judge Wake thinks he's God. Why did Governor Doug Ducey lash out after the Proposition 123 ruling? Finally, let's read this commentary with a different point of view. This is in the Arizona Republic from October 1st, Lori Roberts, columnist. And the headline is, Judge Rules Governor Doug Ducey's Raid on Kids Trust Fund Was Illegal. It is also immoral. Here's her column. A federal judge has ruled that Governor Doug Ducey's scheme to raid a state trust fund and divert the money to public schools was illegal. The state and its officers took those monies illegally and spent them, said U.S. District Court Judge Neil Wake in the ruling issued Tuesday. Really, is this a surprise to anyone other than the governor's office, which called it a blatant disregard of facts by, say it with me now, an activist judge? An activist judge, by the way, who was appointed by President George W. Bush. Remember the times. It was 2015 and Arizona's K-12 through schools were being systematically starved by a Republican-dominated power structure intent on cutting taxes and siphoning public money to private schools. And Ducey, who had been elected the previous year on a vow to cut taxes every year, was stuck with an Arizona Supreme Court ruling that the state had long been stiffing the public schools. This by refusing to automatically fund inflation adjustments of up to 2% per year, something the voters had previously mandated that they do. So now the bill was coming due, and Ducey had no choice. He had to find the money for schools, but he wasn't going to stop cutting taxes or sinking ever-larger amounts of public money into private schools, and he certainly wasn't going to use any of the state's hefty surplus of cash. So instead, he came up with an audacious plan to raid the State Land Trust, a fund set up primarily to benefit public education. Ducey's plan was to divert $2.2 billion of the principal from the trust over the next 10 years in order to pay about 70% of what was owed the schools. In other words, to take close to half the principal from a trust fund set up to benefit future generations of kids and instead use that money to pay the bills owed, owed by the present generation of politicians, the ones who had long been shorting the schools. Prop 123, as it was called, was agreed upon by the state's education leaders who figured something was better than nothing. Meanwhile, five state treasurers, both past and present, worried about eating into the principle of the then $5 billion trust. In parentheses, she notes the trust is now $6 billion more than it was, but not as much as it would be had the principle remained intact. In all, legislative budget analysts have projected Proposition 123 will slow growth of the trust by $3 billion by 2025 when the law expires. That's the end of her parenthetical. Voters approved Prop 123 in May of 2016, with Ducey and the business community selling it as a way to fund schools without having to raise taxes or presumably freeze business tax cuts. There was just one problem. Ducey never received permission from Congress to raid the trust fund, which is fueled by the sale and lease of state land. Only the interest is supposed to be used to supplement state funding for schools. In 2018, Wake found that Ducey was required to get approval from Congress before drawing down the principle of the trust, which was set up by the federal government at the time Arizona became a state. That approval came two years after the trust fund raid and after the federal lawsuit was filed, when a line item was mysteriously inserted into a 2,400-page federal spending bill. Wake's Monday ruling that Ducey broke the law won't immediately impact school funding given the retroactive congressional approval. That'll be a headache for the next governor in 2025 when the trust fund rate expires. Until then, the state of Arizona's commitment to public education is such that we will continue to use a trust fund set aside for future generations of Arizona children to pay the tab for today's kids, the ones we can no longer afford to educate given our leaders' priorities. It's a heck of a way to run a state. And that was the column from Lori Roberts in the Arizona Republic. Judge rules Governor Doug Ducey's raid on kids' trust fund was illegal. It's also immoral. And now let's turn to another subject. This is from the Arizona Republic's Lorne Castle, and it was reported on October 3rd. Alistair Adele named first female Maricopa County attorney. Governor Doug Ducey last month appointed Bill Montgomery to the Arizona Supreme Court. Adele, who is also a Republican, will finish out Montgomery's term and plans to run in the 2020 election. The Board of Supervisors appointed a Citizens Advisory Committee to interview all the applications. The committee recommended five finalists, and the board chose Adele from among them. After she was sworn into office on Thursday, Adele said, It's time to get to work. She told community groups that the office is there to protect their rights and told law enforcement that they are not alone. The Maricopa County Attorney's Office is at the Center of Ethics Complaints Against Montgomery and Prosecutor Juan Martinez. The complaints focus on allegations of sexual harassment by Martinez against numerous women, including co-workers inside the office. When asked about how she would address sexual harassment allegations in the office, Adele said she would take any allegations seriously and investigate it. I would take any allegation, sexual or otherwise, very seriously, and it would be investigated, she said. It would be handled appropriately, swiftly but justly. Adele has previously provided legal consulting services for nonprofits and small businesses. She formerly worked in the county attorney's office as a deputy county attorney. A prosecutor's main goal should be to do justice, she wrote. That may mean taking a difficult case to trial when the evidence supports it. It may mean dismissing a case in the interests of justice. It should never mean to win at all costs, she wrote that in her application. Adele has also worked for the Maricopa County Bar Association, Arizona Department of Child Safety, and Arizona Department of Transportation. State Representatives Shauna Bollock and Walter Blackman wrote a joint recommendation letter for Adele. Alistair is an ethical attorney with a good temperament to bring fairness to this office, they wrote. She has deep ties within our community through her long list of civic engagement. She also had the support of Gilbert Mayor Jen Daniels. Alistair's ability to build trust and connect with various stakeholders will be important in her role because of how vast, diverse, and dynamic Maricopa County has become, Daniels wrote in her recommendation letter. Ducey, in a statement, congratulated Adele. I look forward to working with her to protect public safety, defend the rule of law, and keep Maricopa County and Arizona safe, he wrote. This is an historic appointment and one that County Attorney Adele has earned. In that article from Lauren Castle in the Arizona Republic from October 3rd, headlined Alistair O'Dell named first female Maricopa County attorney. Next, let's turn to a federal case. This is reported by Susan montoya Bryan of the Associated Press. It was reported September 26th, and the headline is U.S. Appeals Court to Decide Fight Over Huge Jaguar Habitat. It will be up to a federal appeals court to decide whether tens of thousands of acres in New Mexico and a portion of Arizona should be reserved as critical habitat for the endangered jaguar. The 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Denver heard arguments on Wednesday from lawyers representing farmers and ranchers wary of setting aside such a large expanse for the cats because few of the animals have been seen in the American Southwest over the last two decades. Environmentalists have argued that setting aside the territory will be crucial to helping jaguars expand their range beyond their core population south of the U.S.-Mexico border. Jaguars have prowled the southwest's rugged mountains and desert rivers for thousands of years, but they won't flourish again without safeguards, said Michael Robinson, a senior conservation advocate with the Center for Biological Diversity. The challenged areas are part of nearly 1,200 square miles designated in 2014 as essential for the conservation of the jaguar. The critical habitat spans parts of southwestern New Mexico and southeastern Arizona. The New Mexico Farm and Livestock Bureau and other ranching groups have argued that much of the habitat in New Mexico is privately owned grazing land. They have said the designation could affect the renewal of grazing permits, the building of stock ponds or fencing, and ultimately the ranchers' livelihoods. Jaguars are found in 19 countries, but only seven male jaguars have been spotted north of the Mexican border since 1996. There were two sightings in portions of New Mexico's Hidalgo County between 1996 and 2006. There have also been spottings in southeastern Arizona. The animals have been protected under the U.S. Endangered Species Act for decades. Reduced habitat insufficient prey, poaching, and conflicts with livestock are among the reasons for the jaguar's decline in the American Southwest over the past 150 years. In April, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service made public a recovery plan for the jaguar that called for two sprawling habitat areas, one from western Mexico into southern Arizona and New Mexico, and the other from eastern Mexico through Central America and South American countries to northern Argentina. The agricultural groups have said the New Mexico habitat amounts to an overly extensive buffer and that the Fish and Wildlife Service could meet its goals by preserving the breeding population 130 miles south of the U.S.-Mexico border. A federal judge in 2017 upheld the agency's habitat designation, prompting the rancher's appeal to the Tenth Circuit. Federal attorneys on Wednesday again defended the agency's determination that the critical habitat in New Mexico was important to conservation efforts. It is unclear when the appellate court could issue a ruling. Depends on when they're ready to, of course. And that's the end of the article by Susan montoya Bryan of the Associated Press. It was headlined, U.S. Appeals Court to Decide Fight Over Huge Jaguar Habitat. Well, here's an interesting article, and this is from the Arizona Capital Times. It's reported by Heather Smathers. The headline is, Courts, Arizona Courts, to Prep for Russian Campaign of Disinformation. The CIA spoke, and Dave Byers, the director of Arizona's Administrative Office of the Courts, listened. He listened as the CIA described how a Kremlin-sponsored organization that peddles in disinformation and spreads a false narrative poses a serious threat to Arizona courts and the justice system as a whole. And he concluded that the court needs to act proactively. We need to have a plan in Arizona for how we will deal with state-sponsored campaigns against the judicial system, said Byers, who brought the issue to leaders in Arizona's courts after hearing from the agents at a recent conference. So to combat the spread, the Arizona Supreme Court on September 18th created a task force to study the effects that disinformation has on the court system. The discussion buyers heard was based on Beyond the Ballot, How the Kremlin Works to Undermine the U.S. Justice System, a report created for the Center for Strategic and International Studies, which lists cases of targeted disinformation attacks carried out through social media. The report was authored by Suzanne Spalding, senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Spalding came to the think tank from the federal government, where she had most recently served as undersecretary at the Department of Homeland Security during the Obama administration, where she handled cybersecurity issues, including leading the teams who investigated Russian interference in the 2016 elections. A report issued in January of 2017 outlined the methods used by the Russians to interfere in the election process. Experts agreed the Russians would be back to interfere in other upcoming elections, but Spalding said she began to focus her investigations on other areas in society where the Kremlin might try to undermine the democratic process. I knew they had been here longer than just the election cycle and weren't going away, and I thought immediately of the justice system, Spalding said. I had not heard of any specific cases where the justice system was the target, but as we started investigating, we saw cases in other liberal democracies where they were targeting the justice system. Russian-affiliated bots, or software applications that run automated tasks over the Internet, sprung up in misinformation cases in Iowa in 2018, Spalding said, using social media to spread controversy about the suspect in the murder of Molly Tibbetts, who was a 20-year-old undergraduate student at the University of Iowa. The suspect, Christian Bahena Rivera, is an undocumented immigrant. Spalding said that the Russian bots exploited the immigrant crimes narrative in that case. The goal ultimately is to divide communities and stir division and cause further polarization, Byers said. These foreign actors are using social media to create a controversy to undermine people's faith in the judicial system, Byers said. One reason we don't have as much unrest in this country is because of our justice system. But if people don't have a way to redress disputes, there is controversy. Russia wants people to not trust the justice system. That was part of Byer's quote. Byers said he is particularly concerned with so-called deepfake videos and the harm they can do to a judge or justice. For example, he said, if the judge is speaking at an event or has a ruling that is recorded, the recording can be modified so well that average viewers won't be able to discern that the video is fake. This technique, known as deepfake, produces highly convincing but false images and audio. In June, the U.S. House Intelligence Committee held a hearing to examine the harm that deepfake videos can do to a society undermining judicial authority. The order creating Arizona's task force says, quote, there are ongoing strategic disinformation campaigns at undermining the American justice system, close quote, and adds whether foreign or domestic Arizona's courts must be prepared to address attempts to discredit the justice system through the use of disinformation. If the Kremlin can push the narrative that democracy is not all it's cracked up to be, their citizens won't long for democracy because the government can point to other countries and say no one else is any better. That was according to Spalding. The National Center for State Courts is certainly concerned with bad actors, both foreign and domestic, attempting to influence the justice system either by altering court documents or or by targeting the courts themselves. William Raftery, Senior Knowledge and Information Services Analyst with the Center, said state and local courts are increasingly becoming the targets of disinformation and targeted attacks on the systems that keep courts humming. Just this year, the National Center for State Courts learned of direct and indirect attacks on courts, including a hack of the Georgia state court website, resulting in the website being taken offline for hours. Officials in Georgia said no client data was compromised, but smaller counties and municipal courts run a real risk of having data compromised, Raftery said. He noted the courts are a repository of personal information that hackers could potentially target. And given that small agencies often don't have the budget to have impenetrable firewalls, courts have become a target of ransomware attacks. Spalding said judges need to be more aware of how they handle their data and keep their systems safe. For example, she said, judges need to make sure they have strong passwords and that their cybersecurity is up to date at the courthouse. Awareness is the first step, she said. As for individual judges, none have been the victim of a disinformation campaign or the subject of a deepfake video in Arizona, but Raftery cited a case in Idaho where a judge had his home address and phone number distributed after a series of Facebook attacks from the Kremlin-sponsored Internet Research Agency. The agency, according to the Beyond the Ballot report, spread misleading information about the case, resulting in the judge and prosecutors being targeted months after the case was resolved. Aaron Nash, communications director for the Arizona Supreme Court and chair of the task force, said the judicial system can be targeted by people upset with rulings and who would change the official court records to reflect a contrary ruling. Nash said there have been no known instances of such blatant deception in Arizona, but we don't want to create a playbook, Nash said. Judges in Arizona do have the potential to be targets during the retention campaigns, whether the criticism is warranted or not. Nash cautioned that there is a balancing act between free speech and actual harm. And buyers noted laws in Arizona have not quite caught up with ever-changing technology, such as the deepfake videos. But the Electronic Frontier Foundation, a civil liberties organization focused on technology, data, and privacy issues, argues against changing laws for very narrow instances, writing in an opinion piece, While many specific uses of the technology, like specific uses of any technology, may be illegal or create liability, there is nothing inherently illegal about the technology itself and existing legal restrictions should be enough to set right any injuries caused by malicious uses. The foundation notes existing laws should apply criminally, including harassment and stalking, slander and intellectual property issues, all which could reasonably apply to deepfake videos. Spalding said she is a strong supporter of judicial reform because faith in the process is the key to democracy surviving. Judicial reform advocates are patriots. They work hard to ensure a fair process, she said. That is not Russian President Vladimir Putin's goal. Arizona's task force will study how to offer methods to help ensure accurate, verifiable facts and information remain available to the public. The task force will review examples of disinformation and misleading campaigns targeting the justice system. It will consider local laws to help address the issue, and it will stop the spread and will create a data network of public and private interests with which the courts can share information. Spalding said the Arizona task force is an encouraging sign and said a public awareness campaign is the best first step. Along with emphasizing cybersecurity, Spalding said judges need to understand their role in the process and ensure they're held to high standards. Putin exploits the narrative that judges are just politicians wearing robes, Spalding said. That is not a Russian idea. They are just amplifying domestic voices. And that article was headlined, Courts to Prep for Russian Campaign of Disinformation. It was in the Arizona Capital Times, reported by Heather Smathers. And with that, we reached the end of this installment of AZ Law. Thanks for joining us. Remember to listen or download our program wherever you find your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe as well. And since our primary purpose is to support the important services provided by Sun Sounds of Arizona, please don't forget to go to our website and click on the links to donate to Sun Sounds. The address directly, if you want to go there, is sunsounds.org. Our website is arizonaslaw.org. We have several plans to grow and improve this program over the coming couple of months, but hey, your comments and suggestions to make this program better as well are always welcomed, especially since this is a new program. You can email me at paul.wyke.azlaw at gmail.com. And by the way, Wyke is spelled W-E-I-C-H. So... I'm bidding you a fair fond adieu and reminding you that I'm your volunteer reader, Paul White, thanking you for listening to AZ Law.